morning. I think Matt and I should do family moments more often. I think we were a hit up here. So glad again that you're joining us online. Hey, this morning is jam-packed. We're going through the whole book of Second Corinthians in about 30 minutes or so. Uh, so we kind of kind of chunk through it uh, pretty quickly in context, but then we actually resolve and sit in some moments that I believe Paul might be speaking to us too through Second Corinthians. So let me set the stage for you really quickly because this helps me, okay, personally, and it might help some of you. And it has something to do with letters. So I want us to kind of contextualize uh, what a letter means to us in the world we live in today personally. So you think of letters, right, and the way you receive them through the mail or in a package. And, and to be completely honest, my parents, I've been blessed. They're super, super good with sending my, me and my family letters and mail. And you think like naturally when you see something uh, authored to you, it makes you feel what? Special, loved, cared for, Right? It gives you this context that someone's writing something specifically to you. And naturally, we do this. We, we sift through authors pretty quickly when it comes to letters to us because you think when you go to your mailbox, you begin to look through all your mail, you're quickly attracted to letters that were personally written to you from someone you know versus State Farm. You know, like completely honest. Someone you don't know or don't care for, right? Maybe. That's not a plug on State Farm. I just don't know if you know or care for them. But... Naturally, like, you look through some junk mail you receive and you immediately toss it out because what? You identify the author and say, I know generally what they're going for and I'm not interested in it. So you throw it, throw it out. But to the letters that are written explicitly to you, and like I said, my parents are really good at this, so I, I think I get a letter for like Mother's Day, and Noel does of course too, but like my parents are just every holiday for any reason, they'll send a letter, you know? I love you, don't forget, you know, it typically has a gift, something associated with it. My mom's really good at sending our kids uh, boxes of goodies so often, and it's addressed to them, and so we see this thing, to Della from Grandma, right? We get to open it, it's like Christmas in the living room, like immediately, because it's like just stuff everywhere. And if you you're a grandma, you feel that, or if you're a student or a kid, you maybe have recognized moments where someone sends you something and it's important. And again, my daughter knows it too, because if I say, hey, this package, this letter's from grandma, do you want to read it? What does she do? Yes! I know her! This is so great! Instead of the insurance company and our like health insurance saying, hey, Della, this letter's to you. It's your health insurance card. And she's like, cool. You know, like, I don't care. You know, it doesn't attract me. And so it's really important for us to identify kind of how letters really impact us personally today. Um, and students, let me put this in context for you, because I think that naturally with letter, like we don't know the mail system so much as students, right? So the next generation, wherever you're at, like the generation of today, you teenagers, fourth through 12th graders, right? I'm talking to you, okay? You've got your phone. Maybe a device like an iPad or tablet, and most frequently for you, you recognize that really uh, letters come in frequent things called texts, right? And these are like mini contextualized, like, like miniature letters sent back and forth in a rapid pace. You know, you can't keep up sometimes in those group chats and all that. But realistically, you know what? Here's how you can tell that you really sift through authors here as well, because what do you realize whenever uh, someone you really like sends you a text? What happens? Ooh, I want to read that. Ooh, my wife texts me a heart. Thank you, babe. I love you. It's a heart on my screen. That's so cute. But like, I'm like, yeah, I want to read that, you know? Versus maybe it's that time of the day on the weekend, which you know which typically comes as a reminder to do something from your mom. And you see the author's your mom, and you're like, 
It's an important author. She's my mom. She loves me deeply, so I need to read it. But I know it's Saturday afternoon, and it says, clean your room. Okay, thanks, Mom. You know, whatever. You know, like, you immediately sift through that, and you're like, thanks, Mom. Or like, my mom would text me when I was uh, off in college, like, clip your fingernails. And I'm like, I bite my fingernails, Mom, so they're auto-clipped, okay? Don't remind me. Do your laundry, you know? Thank you. I don't. But anyways, so it's like these, right? But, but, but clearly the author's still intact and important to us because it's our mom. So right, teenagers, we, we sift through the letters we receive, even if they may be digitally, we sift through them by author, which gives us context for that special relationship we have and we continue to carry. So when it comes to God's Word in these letters in this series, and what, where this helped me is that understanding this series, going through different uh, just letters from apostles to churches throughout the country or the world, right? We then contextualize, okay, this is written from a specific someone to specific somebodies, but God has inspired it to be written. See, we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, let's read this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, in the statement, it's just not some of Scripture or, you know, these few points, but not those other ones, you know. It's all of Scripture is what? Breathed out by God. And what do we know about God's breath, right? We see it immediately in creation when he creates man. So we must know that his breath, his being, his all is important to us. And for him to breathe a word and inspire it to be written and preserve it for decades and centuries to come to us now, there must be some contextual clues that it's not maybe just only for those it was written to then. But maybe, friends, this morning we can sit in the seat and read this letter of intentional letter from Paul to those in Corinth and sit back and recognize maybe, maybe there's some places maybe all of it, God's really still speaking to me too. We've identified our author. We've we've identified he wants a relationship with us. So maybe God has something for you through this letter too, and me. So today I'm going to kind of pack through some some context, some timeline, some history of the 2 Corinthian letter in itself. But by the end here, I'm going to sit on two specific points that we find in 2 Corinthians that I believe God wants to speak to you today. And as I've been praying and reading through and diving into this word, I believe from Paul to those in Corinth, I believe it's very similar to where we might be too. So I'm going to pray for that because really this morning, I want you, even at home, wherever you're listening, if you're listening later, uh, you teenagers in the room, you, you parents, you grandparents, I want you all really solely to hear from God and what he has to say to you this morning. So I'm going to pray for that and ask him to to, to speak to us. So Jesus, thank you so much for your word, God. May we be reminded that you, God, have preserved it for years to come for us to read, God. It is a holy word breathed into existence, inspired by you. And God, thank you for people like Paul, which we learn from. And thank you for the people in Corinth, even, even when they're reminded and false. God, we can be reminded in truth, too. So God, thank you so much for your word, and we pray that your voice be louder than our thoughts or ours or even mine, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians, and I appreciate Mark last week. He really set up the stage and the who and the what and the, and the where, and we'll talk about a little bit of the when for this, 
the when and time frame for this specific letter. But let's remember in Acts 18, Paul actually started this church in Corinth. For a year and a half, he was building this church and kind of setting it up before continuing on his missionary journeys, which God had, had, had delivered him to. So he stopped in Corinth, set up a church there for about a year and a half, and continued on. He set up those in, within the church to love and care for one another, to chase after Jesus together. What a beautiful display of, of part of the picture we're in to today, where we sit in Hope Church, and God has established our church, a body of believers, together to chase after Him. And so we see a similar motion here, Acts 18, for those in Corinth. Now here's, here's kind of the timeline context, okay, because 2 Corinthians was written approximately one year after 1 Corinthians. And so you think of it like when you get letters this close together, you maybe had to learn a lot in a little time, you know, like, hey, maybe something's going on, right? Because if we look at the timeline in a moment, we see some faults that the Corinthian people had where Paul was attempting to correct them and re-guide them and refocus them on what Jesus really had ultimately for them. Now, technically, like Pastor Mark said last week, we are on the fourth technical letter of Paul, even though it says 2 Corinthians in our Bibles. Uh, this is the fourth time Paul is engaging, and let's go through this timeline a little bit, right? Paul first starts his church in Acts 18, and then he gets a report back that stuff's going wrong, so then he writes 1 Corinthians, right? Continuing on, Paul actually says in First and Second Corinthians, Corinthians specifically that he follows up with this thing called a painful visit. Something, stuff's going so wrong that he goes back in person to correct and engage, okay? And, 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 and kind of just deal with what's going on as the leader of this church, although apart planting other churches. Finally, he writes another letter which he says he writes in anguish, right, in pain, so Paul writes another letter to those in Corinthians in anguish and pain, and then he follows up with this one, this letter in 2 Corinthians. So four interactions and written letters to them, not only in visit, but also in written letter. So then Paul writes this letter. They'd come to the conclusion that, Paul, you are right. We are sorry. And so Paul here is assuring them of his love for those in Corinth and the church that God has built, but also, also reconciling the fact that a lot of their problems stemmed around one of this one big issue, and it was that they were rejecting Paul's leadership over the church for other idols and, and leaders around their area. See, they were striving after those who had stronger stature maybe, or maybe richer in wealth, or maybe spoke more clearly, because Paul, and, and what we know about Paul is he maybe didn't speak super clearly or, or, or in, in a way that was attractive. He just spoke the truth as God had given it to him, and thus was God established him as an apostle. And this is the beauty about how God works is it really doesn't, it doesn't count on our gifts or abilities like whatsoever. God wants to use us for his glory regardless, whenever. And so this is the beautiful part of the testimony of what God does also with us that he does in Paul. And I'm going fast, but I believe we got a lot to get to, okay? So if, you, if you're tracking with me, right? So then they're, worship, they're kind of like following other guys other than Paul. And so Paul writes this letter to bring reconciliation. They've apologized, majority of them. Paul brings in some reconciliation, brings some, some, some redirection, and then finally a commissioning to those who still aren't following him, still aren't following him as he follows Christ, still not kind of chasing after what Christ has set up for the church to chase after through Paul's leadership. And so in these sections we see in 2 Corinthians, we see a section in the first part of 2 Corinthians on reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation and how Paul's not only want, wants to be reconciled with him in friendship, but also in leadership that God has given him over the church in Corinth. 
also in generosity. Paul has realized at this point they are lacking in generosity. There's points where their attitudes and their hearts aren't in the right place, and so he is redirecting and helping them understand that God calls us to be generous, and we'll talk about that a little later too. And finally, Paul challenges the remaining uh, believers in Corinth who are rejecting his his leadership for whatever reason to reevaluate if they're truly following Jesus in whatever season they might be in. And a really heavy challenge to those who are rejecting Paul, are they really just rejecting Jesus? And so we see this beautiful timeline and these sections broken up in 2 Corinthians, uh, but maybe let's start and go through some key themes. And these are going to be some, some just key themes that I'm going to reference in Scripture. I'd love for you to open to it and read along with me wherever you're at. And we'll talk through a few key themes that Paul delivers here too within those sections that I want us to touch on today. And then like I said, I want us to end on two main points that I believe we can walk away with today. Because remember, this word to those in Corinth is beautiful and good and, and God directed, ordained it, literally inspired it through Paul. But I believe as God's word said, we can still glean and learn and be directed and redirected by God today personally. So we're going to spend our time there too. So here's some key themes. First is this, Paul's suffering imitates the cross of Jesus. See, they rejected Paul and his leadership a lot because of the suffering he experienced. And they're like, why follow someone who suffers? This is lame, okay? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Just because I suffer doesn't discredit who God has established me to be as leader in our church, right? As leader and apostle in this time frame. No, no, by any means, my suffering imitates Jesus, And by his suffering, we then are given grace, right? By his death on the cross, we are then given new life. See, friends, that as we follow Jesus, we may encounter suffering, but that doesn't discredit our relationship with God or what he's up to. If anything, that encourages us to continue on through it and be be find find strength through it. And so Paul, really in this key theme, says, My suffering only imitates Jesus. Remember, suffering is a part of this process at times. And God's got it, and it's okay. Second key theme is this. Paul's a servant of the new covenant. We're going to 2 Corinthians 3.6 for this. 2 Corinthians 3.6, in this main kind kind of theme here, key theme, it says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul here is actually beginning to differentiate the old, old law and the new, the old covenant and the new covenant. And by this meaning of, he says, the letter of the law, right? The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he's referencing is that if you think of the letter of the law and the old covenant, what it was was a big list of things to do and not to do. And Paul's saying that kills in the way of it really just opens up and shows us our faults and shows us that we are desperately in need of God, in need of a Savior, right? Because by sin, we deserve death. By sin, we die. And yet, so Paul here is directing us saying, by the letter, kills, but the Spirit of God brings life. So in this new covenant with Jesus, the beautiful part about his death and resurrection, when he ascends into heaven after his resurrection, he then imparts the Holy Spirit for us to live by. See, the Holy Spirit now then is naturally, the indwelling of it becomes the law then written on our hearts that we are able to follow and be obedient to God by, but also carry his present for him to be presently with us, but also work presently through us. See, God had this new plan that, like, that those originated from the very beginning. They said, I want my people back so bad, but I not only want them back in relationship, I want to use them for my glory. 
And this is the life that Paul's referencing here. That it's not that by the old covenant we live, but by the new one we're set free to live fully. See, the Holy Spirit fulfills this covenant within us with God to continue in new life with Him today. The beautiful part, and, and this is where we begin to tackle transactional faith, and, and I want to explain that a little bit because sometimes we can get into this idea that I want a relationship with God just to get to heaven, and I want a transaction for that. I get to go to heaven, that's great. So I'm just going to do whatever I want to do now, and it'll be cool. But friends, that's not how our relationship with God works and not how he designed it to. See, when we enter a relationship with Jesus, he actually invites us now to come alive in him. And he actually gives us his spirit to actually live by each and every day on earth today. So then that we, we like greatly are excited to be fully present with God in, in heaven and eternity in the future. But yet God says, I still want to be in relationship with you right now. And I still want to work a plan out in you for my glory right now. And so that's why you hear as a church, we really prioritize next steps. Because we believe next steps, friends, are ways you can take steps with God to actually continue in this process, right, of growing in relationship with Him, but also bringing Him all the glory throughout your life. This, this relationship with Jesus isn't just to get us to heaven. It's actually to begin a new life in us now that continues and, and is found in glory now and in heaven, right? Re reunites us with Him now continuing in eternity. The best way I could, I, I, I've always heard it said is that, you know, when you, when you meet Jesus and you give your life to him, you find salvation, your life really starts now. Your new life starts now. There's no more waiting, right? We may find suffering. It might be hard, and it honestly really will be hard because we live in a world that rejects God and, and, and a sinful nature that so desires our own self ambition and not God's authority and vision and, and will for our life. But God says it's worth it. This is the best life I've actually created for you to live. And if you trust me, if you trust me, it's worth it. So we see this as Paul really is a servant to this new covenant, reminding them that they have a spirit that guides them, fulfills this old law, that it's no longer transactional, that they can actually live in Christ today and continue to be used for his glory tomorrow and the next day. It's, it's so beautiful. Finally, the Spirit transforms believers into the image of God, which is seen in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which come from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love it when Paul's repetitive theme is so often true because we find this theme of transformation also in Romans 12 too. This beautiful part where do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Where do we find the renewal of our mind though, friends? From Jesus, from the Spirit within us. We find the renewing of our life and our mind and our mission from God. That's who holds our purpose. That's who directs and coordinates our plan as we trust Him, as we look to Him and not ourselves. All of this so far in Corinthians and what we've referenced in this letter in general is really this moment where Paul's directing and, and hoping this letter would strengthen the church in Corinth. 
Because they've been, they, they've been confused at times, looking to other leaders instead of Paul at times, really looking elsewhere instead of Jesus at times. And really, Paul's like, this, this, this notion is to help strengthen them and further equip them for every good work God has in store for them. And remind them of the Spirit which gives life. I love this, this, this idea because the truth about it is it still is the truth for us today. That by God's Spirit, we're given life to live out, live out abundantly here on earth, bringing God glory, facing times of suffering and hardship with ultimate strength in Christ, right? And faith and, and, and trust. And the beauty about it is the same Spirit that sets those in Corinth free through this letter still sets us free today. God is still so everly present with us. And it's so fun. And, and just to speak to some of my students in the room, one of my, I tell them all the time, like, why I'm so excited about student ministry is I, I get to see students really understand that concept, and students are kind of just crazy enough to do everything God says, you know? Like, like, and I say crazy, not that it's bad, like, in a bad way, but they, like, once they catch the idea and dream and, and vision that God has for them, and that God, like, equips them with a spirit to live life, not only for, like, being in heaven one day, but like for now and to actually go and impact their friends and families, like friends, they are, they, like this is where I believe God like really encourages us to have childlike faith and not students like your kids or anything, but like that we would have faith that would be transformative and that we'd, be, we'd believe it to all ends. Because if you think of students, if you think of kids, when, when they believe something, when they believe it's true, they will do anything to chase after it. And I love it when they capture God's vision and, and, and for their heart, God's, God's goal for them, and, and they chase after it because they can be world changers. They can be mountain movers through God with Jesus. We naturally see this like when our, we meet on Hope Wednesdays or on Sunday nights with our high school group. Um, students who come and they hear the word of God and they interact with Jesus they connect with him, and they're prompted to take next steps. They leave, and their family didn't typically come to hope, but after that, they go home and share the truth with their family. In, like, weeks to come, their whole families here on Sunday mornings, like, who's this Jesus that my son or daughter, like, told me about? Like, I'm ready to learn about that. And that's the power and beauty about how God calls each and every one of us individually to live life to the full by his Spirit alone. So what in this letter might be for us? A lot of that is, and, and I believe most of it, like God really or, like, like inspires Paul to speak to us too, but there's a few things that, that God placed on my heart as I was reading through 2 Corinthians through and through and as I was praying, and I, I want to really uh, set this up because I think that sometimes, especially in where I'm at, I've only been in Dubuque and at Hope Church for like nine or ten months now, and I don't want this to come across as a discouragement, but really an encouragement to you, friends. Because I believe as I've been praying and asking God, I've been so uh, just trying to humble myself and say, God, what do you really want me to hear? What do you want our church to hear right now in this season of life we're living in? And so these are just two key points that God really pointed out to me that I want us to sit in a little bit this morning. And like I said, help transform this letter from not only to those in Corinth, but help us see parts of it that we need to take on today and walk with today that God's speaking to us today. So point number one is take action. Take action. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
The idea here is that we are not helpless victims to our thoughts. We can actually begin to take action and take steps to captivate our thoughts and then actually use them and transform them to obey Jesus instead. You think naturally of thoughts like lust and anger and fear and hatred. Like friends here, Paul is delivering a truth to us that we can actually take arguments and anything else that sets up against the knowledge of God, take those thoughts captive and actually make it obedient to Christ instead. So now when we face fear, God, I am so afraid something's going on in my life, but let me be reminded that you are my strength, God, and you, I can trust you through anything. You've never failed me yet, and you never will, God, and so I can trust you. We've taken that thought of fear, held it captive in applying God's truth. Maybe in anxiety too, or lust. I, I work with a lot of just guys and teenagers and, and anyone who struggles with lust, and they realize that when they lustfully look on, on someone other than their wife or someone else, they can actually begin to capture those thoughts and say, God, you call me in purity to walk by your word and trust you in truth. So I know I can overcome in, in you. The beauty about capturing and captivating your own thoughts, though, really comes with action. Because if you think about it, you can be lazy and take not very much action, find yourself lost in some thoughts. Someone might object, though, and I wanted to spend a moment on this objection because someone might actually say, and, and it's okay if you do, I don't want my thoughts to be captive by anybody. I don't want my thoughts to be captive by Jesus. I want my thoughts to be truly free. So why would I take them captive by anything and, and move them into obedience? Well, this objection, it, it's kind of wrong in two different ways. And, and I want to kind of unpack that a little bit and help you realize that. One is this, that your thoughts and you specifically, you belong to someone. You belong, if you're a believer, to Jesus or, or not. You belong and you're captive to your sin. You belong to Satan. And so there's this idea, this truth that like literally if you're a Christian, you're bought with a price that you now belong with Jesus. And so thus he gives us strength to take captive our thoughts, right? Take captive our thoughts and turn them into obedience to him. I actually was like, it was like a revelation. I, I, I was like sifting through a few different authors of commentaries who were displaying this idea of like this objection that, that as you fine tune and, and understand it, is so quick to come to our mind. Like we just want to be free, but yet we're truly not free. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. And so understanding this concept and that if we are Christians, if we follow Jesus, if we belong to him, then yes, we absolutely have an opportunity to take captive our thoughts and move them to obedience and be reminded of his truth. Psalm 119 11, I've hidden your word in your heart that I might not sin against you. This is where we actively look at God's word and his truth and hide it in our heart. So then when those thoughts or sinful desires or moments come up, we may reference his word and his truth and say, no, God, I'm going to captivate this, but turn to obedience instead. Ephesians 6, 12, I, I think as we think about our, our thoughts and where we're at with with just our sinful desires, we sometimes need to take steps back and understand there is a war, a spiritual war for our lives. Ephesians 6, 10, 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
But let's remember what Jesus says, right? In John 10.10, he says, The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. He doesn't stop there. He says life to the full. And so if we can recognize we have life by the Spirit, life in Jesus to the full, we can then maybe embrace the spiritual war going on among us. This tension between sin and righteousness. This tension between following Jesus and not. 1 Peter 5, and I don't want to steal this, this letter, but I, I really had felt a desire to share this with you. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And then Paul's a friend told me this, and it was really, really interesting, okay? Because if you read this passage, and I'm just expounding just some of my thoughts and understanding is, here, my friend was just explaining, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and then resist him. Let's, let's analyze really quick what a lion does when it hunts. A lion, when it hunts, comes up really quietly and doesn't roar. Why? It needs to actually catch its prey before it runs off, right? A lion in its hunger may sit and roar all day long, and that's fine, but when it actually hunts and can capture a prey, it doesn't roar. See, friends, Satan knows his place, especially to us who belong to Jesus. And so oftentimes when it comes to either temptations or anything like that towards our lives, he can't simply do anything but roar and, and make us afraid and actually remind us that he, he's tempting us and stuff's going on and it's hard and don't follow Jesus, it's not worth it. But he can't devour us. Why? Because we belong to Jesus. We belong to Christ. And so then in Peter here, we say, resist him and stand firm in your faith. Because Satan can't devour you. He can tempt you. He can throw things at you. He can throw circumstances your way, maybe through something happening in, in, in a relationship or a friendship, some sinful action happening that affects you, whatever it might be. But he can't devour you, friends. We can actually actively resist him. This is that idea of capturing our thoughts and applying it to obedience, resisting what Satan throws our way. And as James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God, then resist him, and he will, what, flee from you. We can actually take action, friends, in our, in our walk with Jesus, in our lives today, and resist the temptation that, that Satan throws our way. Take captive our thoughts and move them to obedience and trust him. And finally, my second point is give always. Give always. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, it says this. Paul, with this, with this reminder that I believe is so true for us today, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will bound in every good work. Giving is for each one of us, friends. And Paul knew this for the believers in Corinth who were withholding giving, that they were doing it in an attitude of selfishness. And, and Paul directly states this, right? For God loves a cheerful giver. And we talk about giving a lot because we believe it's a really, really important step, an important obedient step with your walk with Jesus because he invites us to be givers, in all ways, not only monetarily, which Paul's referencing here, but if I could just speak to with our time. 
so that you will abound in every good work, having all that you need. A reminder that Jesus, the Lord, provides for your needs. He provides you for your needs so much that sometimes we need to separate our needs and our wants and understand that he, he's providing needs, but maybe not all our wants. Trust him for our fullness of needs, but maybe not all our wants. I think I, I want to just take one quick moment and, and reference this, this issue that I know I've had, that I know some might struggle with. Because I think sometimes when it comes to giving, we can make a lot of excuses, either with our money or with our time. And it's this, if I had, then I would. But today, maybe I want to encourage you to take this captive and move it to obedience. Because instead of if I had, then I would, what if you were obedient to Jesus and said, hey, you know what? Whatever I have, God, right now I will. Instead of, if I had, then I would. No, whatever I have right now, I will. Because God, I can trust you to provide fully for me. I can trust you that in that provision, you've maybe, in, in seasons, blessed me far beyond my means, so I want to give. But regardless of what you've given, God, I want to give because you call me to. Instead, instead, if I had, then I would. Whatever I have right now, I give. And finally, the difference between your gifts and abilities let me invite you into a conversation I had with myself because I was sitting and I know I have gifts that I can use for God's kingdom and I strive to refine them and, and work them to really bring glory to God in all that I do. I, I try my best to do that. Sometimes I fail for sure, please. We all do. But the difference between gifts and abilities when it comes to giving our time is really important for us to identify. Because the gifts you have, you may say, I have gifts of this specific thing, but I know the church doesn't need those gifts right now, so I'm just not going to serve. However, let me invite you that God also wants you to serve with your abilities. And this conversation I had with myself came down to VBS. And Deanna's probably watching this later. Deanna, I love you so dearly. But I said that I'm not gifted with kids. I am not, okay? But I know I have the ability to keep kids alive. So I am going to just serve in any way that I can with them. Truly, truly though, I know that I have a heart to, to make sure they're okay and to direct them to where they need to go. I don't have the gift of teaching them like Deanna does. She is so incredibly gifted. Please, amen, if you have a kid, that she is. Right, yeah, right. But I'm not. But I know I have abilities that can help and assist in different roles and areas. So I simply told Deanna, I know I'd probably be good with like a small group of kids, boys. I can throw a football at them. I can do this stuff. I can like, you know, I can do that. I have that ability. She's like, yeah, let's do it. So I signed up, right? Some of us, we, we wrestle with this difference between gifts and abilities because if uh, the church doesn't need a certain gift that we have, we discredit and then don't serve. But yeah, what if you were to look at the abilities you have and take credit and begin serving regardless? Again, not if, the, if I had, then I would, but whatever I have, God, then right now I will. I know all of us in the room can clean a toilet, truly. What if we use that ability that we had so simple like that? And I'm not saying our toilets need cleaned, okay? So don't put that on record. But, but truly, what if we said, hey, I have the ability to clean or I have the ability to cook. I can like mop or something. Whatever ability you have, you just come to, to the church and say, I want to use my abilities for God because he calls me further than just only my gifts, but anything I can do to serve him. And that's how we begin to give always. Friends, you might need to begin to take inventory on where you're at with Jesus and what he's calling you to into taking action and living generously, giving always. 
At the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, Paul invites those in Corinth who are still turning away to do this very thing, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And essentially, Paul was being so matter-of-fact to say, examine if you really even truly follow God. And I'm not saying that directly to you in that exact way, but in a similar way. I'm saying maybe begin to examine where you're at with Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ at some point, begin to examine where you're actually taking action steps in your faith, because that's part of the letter of the law by the Spirit on your life, to take action with Him, or in the ways you're giving generously. Because again, if we go back to the way of giving generously, Paul mentions giving generously of your own heart, not to be forced or coerced. And if you're in Jesus, the letter of your heart, the letter of the law of your heart is the Spirit, and the Spirit might be prompting you to give more than you do maybe in financial means, or maybe even in abilities and gifts. Remember, friends, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Be encouraged today, friends, that we have new life in Christ, that we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom to speak with him. We have freedom to be in relationship today, all because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin. We no longer face death but we face new life in him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us sift through just the journey of life we're on wherever we're at, God, and take captive, God, our sinful desires, our our, our thoughts, and put them to obedience to you. Be reminded of your word and the newness of life we find in you. And God, I ask that you would give us boldness and courage to give always, give generously based on what you've given generously in the way you have for us. God, we are givers because you're a giver. We thank you for the amounts, the, the, the massive amount of grace you give us each day, even in moments like right now today. God, we love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.